what are you committed to? You're probably committed to your family at some level. You're maybe committed to your job. You're committed to your schoolwork. What are you committed to? As we come into this month of November, the month of thankfulness, the month of parades and turkey gluttony and Black Friday spending and Cyber Monday and Giving Tuesday, there are more little holidays inside Thanksgiving, I think, than any other month. Or inside November than any other month. Thanksgiving isn't a month, but November is. I thought it might be refreshing if we took a look at, first of all, what we're really committed to. But I also wanted to take a look at what it means to be a praying church. What does that really look like when you commit to pray? What happens when God's people make a commitment to prayer? And this month... We're going to look at different aspects of prayer. This month, I'm going to challenge you, no matter what else you're committed to, I want to challenge you to be committed to pray. To be committed to pray for the people around you. To be committed to pray uh, for people at your work. To be committed to pray for people that maybe you just happen to see them in a store and they give you that look and you go, oh no, they're going to ask me for money. Pray for those people. I want you to commit to pray For our nation, for our government, for your schools, for your neighborhood, your community. This month, I'm going to talk so much about praying. You will have no other option but to start doing it if you're not doing it. And to do it more if you are doing it. That's the goal. But today I want to talk to you about what it looks like to be thankful. To count our blessings. But before I do that, I have to ask you another question. This is a rhetorical, it's not a rhetorical question, but I don't want you to shout out your answer, okay? The answer is just between you and God. I just want you to think about your answer. Are you ready? What is your prayer life like? What What is your prayer life like? If you were to paint a picture... I just happen to have one painted, hanging up here. If you were to paint a picture of what your prayer life looked like, that picture represented your prayer life, what would that picture look like? Some of you are thinking, well, my picture would look a lot better than yours, but I would say it probably wouldn't. Because in this picture, you'll find a glimpse of yourself. It's funny how I keep doing that with those paintings. Our last painting had a picture of you in it. We may start off with good intentions. It's Monday and we've got this nice canvas that's our week. And we, we're going to put a little splash of yellow in there. You can see it, that little splash of yellow, the sun, the brightness, the good stuff right up in the top corner of that painting. We're, we're, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to pray every day, Lord. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to spend time with you. And then this thing called life happens. And the reality is, all of a sudden, it's Sunday morning, and you look back on your prayer life, and and this is what you have. This is what we gave God. And it looks like that. I kind of like that. It's kind of a beautiful mess. It fits my my life. But the reality is, that's kind of how our prayer lives look. We start out with good intentions. God, I'm going to paint you this amazing portrait that is my life. I'm going to do it with communication with you, with relationship with you, with with time in your word. And then we get to the end and there it is. 
and, it, and it's runny and it's gooey and, it, and it's outside the lines. And then we come to church and the preacher says, hey, let's talk about counting our blessings. And you're like, do you know the week I just had? I don't know that there was a blessing in that week. The preacher's going to say, hey, we're talking about being thankful. Thankful for what? Do you know what I went through at work this week? Do you know the conversations I had with my spouse or with my ex-spouse or, or with my kids or with the neighbor? We got in a fight. I don't know. But yes, I expect you to begin today counting your blessings and being thankful. I want you to be thinking of what you need to do to transform your prayer life from something that may resemble this painting to something that reflects quality time spent with God in prayer. While you're doing that, you also may have noticed some additions to the auditorium this morning. I spoke about them a little bit earlier. These prayer boxes up here at the front. There's one in the front and there's one in the back. And I gave you all those little pieces of uh, cardstock. I want you to hold those in your hands while I'm preaching because I want you to begin to think about the things that you should be sharing with God. Maybe it's things that you're trying to deal with on your own. Maybe it's a struggle. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's just life. But I want you to think about some of those things and just write it down on the card. Anytime this month, you can come and place it in one of these prayer buckets. I'm not, we're not going to read them. But at the, end of the, at the end of the month, I've got something really cool that I'm going to close this out with. Or at least I think it's cool. Um, and I'm excited for it. But it only works if you guys do your part. So if you, if you don't want people to see you put a prayer in that bucket, that's fine. You can come tomorrow. Come in during the day on your lunch break and just walk in, stick it in there and move on. But I want you to hold those in your hands. I want you to write down something that you need to share with God. Good, bad, or indifferent. Maybe you just haven't said thank you to him with real sincerity in a while. Maybe you haven't taken time to just count your blessings and you just want to just start writing down your blessings while I'm preaching today. Write down the things you're thankful for. As we talk about what it looks like to count our blessings and to be thankful. Will you pray with me? Father God, this morning we come before you. We're preparing to open up your word. To see what it is to truly be thankful to you. We're going to get a glimpse today of how we can count our blessings. Even in the midst of horrible, bad things. Lord, I pray that as we take this time, as we, as we look at your word. Well, your word will just rekindle in us a, a desire and urgency to be in communication with you, not just one hour during the week, but every day. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I want you to think about thankfulness. I want you to think about counting your blessings as I tell you this story. It was a dangerous time to be a Christian in World War II in Romania. The Russian communists were in power. And like the Nazis before them, they were persecuting Christians. Pastor Richard Wormbrand's church continued to meet secretly 
as he would minister to his people, to his congregation, and, and they would work to spread the gospel whenever they could. But the communist authorities were scheming something, and they called for a public meeting, and they assured all the church leaders, they offered their protection if, if the church would voice its support for the government. You see, the government knew that if they could get the, the Christian leaders, the church leaders, to profess allegiance and trust into the government, they knew the rest of the people would be much more manageable. And one after another, these Christian leaders would take a public stage much like this one, and they would give speeches that showed their support for the Communist Party. And in return, they would enjoy relative safety to go on with their churches. And just before Pastor Wormbrand was called to the podium, he knew he was coming to a place where he had to decide what he would do. And with his wife's urging to the side, he goes up and he throws down the gauntlet. And it's impressive. He makes a public declaration of his faith. He talks about the awesomeness of his God. And he ends with a refusal to support the communist regime and what they wanted to do. And in doing that, he placed his entire family in danger. As events would unfold, he is then kidnapped by secret police on February 29th, 1948. And over the next eight years, they tried to break him with every technique in the book. Including three years in solitary confinement, where the only people that he saw were his captors and those who would come daily to take him out for his daily torturing for days on end, they would put him in a box that was approximately six feet high and three foot square. And you think, well, that might not be too bad. You get tired, you can sleep standing up, you can su survive that. But this particular box had large spikes driven into it on all sides. And so you math people can take a three foot square box that's six foot tall and you drive spikes into it and you realize that three foot square size just shrunk down. So when you become too weak or too tired to stand, the only comfort you find is leaning against the spiked walls. And you know, instead of hating his captors, Richard prayed for them. He prayed for his family. He said he prayed for his family every day. He prayed for his church family. And not only did he pray continually, but he would pray out loud. And when his captors would hear him praying, they would come and they would drag him from his cell. And then they would torture him for hours. What's wrong with you? Why do you call out to a God that doesn't exist? And then they would drag his worn out body back in and drop him into his cell. He endured so much torture from these men that they left his body severely scarred. One of the methods of torture was that they would, they would tie his hands and his feet together and lay him on his back. And his hands and feet were tied to a rod so that they were up in the air. And they would, they would beat him on his feet. They would beat him on his hands. Whips, boards, whatever they would pick up, they would just beat the bottoms of his feet, the tops of his feet. They tortured his feet so much, he says that he would never walk normal again. And yet he still would not bend. He wouldn't denounce his faith. He, he not only would he not stop praying for his family, but he was, he was praying prayers of thankfulness throughout this time. He's thankful for his church family. Thankful for his wife and his son. 
He, he even prayed for his captors and for his torturers. Now you may be thinking, why would he choose to go on like that? How can he continue day in and day out living through the torture in these harsh conditions? The only answer I can give you for that would be Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Jesus said, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. And falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And verse 12 says, rejoice and be glad. For your reward is in, in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Richard Wormbrand held fast to those words that Jesus spoke. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As I was reading about his life uh, and listening to some different things that, that he had shared. He is quoted by saying this. When a crocodile eats a man, I don't hate the crocodile. He said, in the same way as how I look at my torturers. See, because a crocodile is just a beast. He's just an animal. He's just surviving. And, and he says, years of carnality have hardened these men. I hate the sin of torture. I hate what they're doing to me. But I do not hate the men themselves. I love them. I know that only the love of Jesus can change them. And then you think about your week. And that person at work. Or that silly argument you had with a family member. Or whatever. Richard Wormbrand remembered the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount. Verses 38 through 48. He took these words literally. Listen to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount starting with verse 38. You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you. And do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Verse 43 says, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers... What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I make such a sharp contrast using Richard Wormbrand and his, his situation, his eight years, and your current situation. And I can go out on a limb and say that you're probably not being tortured by anyone physically. Probably not being daily put in and out of a three by three box with spikes driven into it. I'm not saying you don't have a hard life. I'm not saying you don't have challenges. I'm not saying you don't have those people who 
you know, are rough and, and, and who make your life hard. I'm not saying that. But if Richard Warnbrand can hold steadfast to this faith, if he can literally turn the other cheek and pray for the people who are physically abusing him, he, can wa- he walks the other mile. He, choos- he chose to love his captors. He loved his torturers. Not only did he pray for them, but as he is able, he also served as a pastor to the other people that were in prison. See, his solitary confinement was only about the first three years. And the, the last five, he was, he was amongst others who were going through the same thing. And he ministered to them, including his captors. And meanwhile, his family also suffers. The story that I read, his, his, they, they go into his house in the middle of the night. The same people, they kidnap his wife. She's forced into a labor program for three years. His son is immediately orphaned, left in the house at around 12 years old. But both Richard and his wife continued to walk in, to continue to walk on faith. After he was finally released, he was overjoyed to discover that his underground church was still gathering for worship and encouraging one another. That was something he had prayed for. Lord, don't let them separate. He went on to use his experience to help people around the world understand how Christians and others were being treated behind the Iron Curtain. He actually spoke to our Congress one day, and and the story is that as he was speaking to Congress, he took his clothes off. He showed them the the wounds. He He revealed 18 disfiguring scars that were all over his body that he received from that time in prison. His goal was not for punishment of his captors, but to share the truth of what is happening to Christians in other countries. I told you earlier today, today is the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. And I thought his story was, was, a, was a good one to share as we talk about counting our blessings and being thankful no matter what the situation. He only wanted to raise awareness for other brothers and sisters who are serving Christ and paying for their devotion to Christ by enduring some of the things that he had to endure. His, his church, as I said, when he was released, was still active, still praying, still serving in the community. They lived out, this underground church lived out what Paul shared within the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. When I read this, I want you to think about your week, think about your life. See how you compare to these words. Verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. This little church without a pastor continued to grow and serve and take care of people in the community amongst persecution happening. Verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Some translations say committed to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind. But associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. 
Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. For eight years, I want to pause right there for a second. For eight years, Richard Wormbrand was in captivity. But he was at peace with those men. Verse 19 says this. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And verse 20 brings this all together. I will repay, says the Lord, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. I don't know who that person is that just makes your life miserable. But verse 19 says, never take your own revenge. Leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And he gives instruction. He says to us, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. That's hard to do. But when you do that, you'll be heaping burning coals on his head and you will not be overcome by evil. The only way that someone like Richard Wormbrand could go through the things he went through was he refused to be overcome by evil. His underground church refused to be overcome by evil. His wife refused to be overcome by evil. They refused to take their own revenge. If I had to pick a verse that encapsulated Richard's life, I would pick Matthew 544. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because that's what he did. I, I have a, a short video clip that I want you to see that it shows just a glimpse of a reenactment of Richard's time in prison. Because the whole video, you wouldn't be able to stomach. But watch this clip and listen closely. That man said, you're praying, you idiot, your wife is gone, your kid is orphaned, and you pray to a God who doesn't exist. What else could you have to pray for? 
And he said, I was praying for you. Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And I want you to know, we here in America think that stuff doesn't happen. But it does. Right here in 2017, we have brothers and sisters in other countries who are enduring things that we can never imagine. Who are continually being harassed. Who are continually arrested. Who are disowned by their families and persecuted for their faith. As we come to our response time this morning, I want to do two things. Uh, One, I want us to group together, us being you guys, I want you to group together in just a second and pray for our brothers and our sisters around the world who are being persecuted for their faith. And as your group finishes praying, I want you to just quietly sit down and take a minute. Think about who or what else you need to be praying for or about. Think about what you need to lay out before God. What is your your secret sin? What is your struggle? Maybe someone's persecuting you for your faith, and I want you to write a prayer for that person on that prayer card. Maybe your faith and your prayer life resembles our painting. I want you to think about, as we finish praying for those who are being persecuted, I want you to think about who it is you need to be praying for today and write that prayer. Write your struggle. Write your blessing. And then I'll give some more direction as we come into our actual response time. But right now, will you stand and just gather together in groups of two or three and just lift up those who are enduring that.
when you think of a sermon about thankfulness and counting your blessings, you probably weren't expecting the depth of darkness that I shared with you this morning. I brought that to your attention, not just because it's the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians, but because if someone like Richard Wormbrand can go through the things that he went through, maintain his faith, maintain his belief, and maintain a love for fellow man in those circumstances, how much more should we be able to shine that light in this place, in this community, in your family? Of when I think of people, of Christians who, who maybe have a right or the approval to hate someone or to treat someone poorly, I would think that would be someone like Richard Wormbrand. He earned the right to not love the people who were being mean to him. And yet he didn't choose that path. He chose to pray for those who persecuted him. He chose to love the man that came in every day it would take him out, not for daylight, not for some sunlight, not for something nice, but to torture him, to leave a mark on his body that would, would never change. And he chose to love those people because he knew that what he had to gain in heaven was so much more than what he was giving up. I don't know the things that you struggle with. I don't know where you're at necessarily as individuals. But I would say that if you're in this room and you found your way here this morning, you have a lot more to be thankful for and a lot more blessings to count than what you're really giving God credit for. It may be a tough season coming up for you. Maybe you don't like holiday seasons. Maybe you've suffered lost or things have happened and and you like I know people say I just don't like holidays you still have blessings to count maybe for you it's it's a first holiday without a loved one you still have blessings to count maybe for you you just lost a position at work or lost a job and you're thinking how am I going to go into the holidays and do do for my family you still have blessings to count you still have things to be thankful for as we begin to sing our response song this morning, I just ask that you stand and sing with us. And if you've written down a prayer today on this card, anytime while we're singing, just take it to one of these buckets and, and just put it in there. If you'd like to share something with the elders, our elders are here. They would love to pray with you this morning. They would love to encourage you. However you respond this morning, let's start our response time. Being thankful to God. And I really want to challenge you as you have this response time that one of your responses will be that you commit to pray. That you'll make a commitment of prayer for the next 30 days. And then see what happens because I think you'll be amazed. Will you stand and sing this response song with us? It's been... Great to be here with you guys today to talk about our blessings, talk about being thankful. And it, it is indeed a, a season for that.
So before we leave, I'd like to pray one last time. Father God, I thank you for this church family. I thank you for the love and the support and the encouragement they offer to one another. I thank you for the things that, as individuals, this group of people do in this community to be a reflection of you. And sometimes we never hear about those acts and those deeds and those types of service, but I know they're happening, and we appreciate that. And I thank you for uh, that you've placed that on our hearts. Lord, I ask that this week especially we will remember to stop and to commit to prayer, that we will pray for one another in this room, that we will pray for those that we work with, that we go to school with, that maybe serve us our meal today, that we will pray for them. Maybe we'll even be so bold as to ask them if there's something we can pray about for them. But Lord, I ask that each one of us would just have a burden to be committed to prayer this month and our relationship with you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Will you sing this last song with us?